0: I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C.
1: You know who it is, Travis
0: Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. Rapper Big Poo is in the co-host chair. And our guest today, the owner of Facebook Game Plan and the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt, is our guest today. Emery, how
1: are you? I'm doing fine. It's football game plan. I ain't trying to get sued by Facebook. (laughs) Oh, man,
0: man, I'm sorry. I thought I nailed the intro and blew it. I had one job today to nail the intro. I would do better. (laughs)
1: That's all good. I I appreciate you guys having me on the show.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Emery, I'm curious, when do y'all get... Well, first, before we do this, uh, earlier today, Alex Smith retired. I thought we should just acknowledge that... um, I don't do this very often. I got injured 10 years ago and um, uh, I'm a C6 quadriplegic. And and what Alex Smith was able to do is just incredible. And, and I hope he finds the same happiness off the field that he found on it because I know he enjoyed playing the game. And if indeed he was able to go out on his own terms, um, then good for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can go out Get the bag and run and get the trophy too. You know you got comeback player of the year. You can't argue with that, man. That's writing your own story. That's a that's a great way to end a career that you know saw its fair share of ups and downs and redemption. He had all kind of uh, you know peaks and valleys in his story. So definitely one that should be told.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Emory. I think that him retiring today or before this next season was perfect. He got to come back. You know, work his way back, play the game he loved. He said he loved, and you know, show he could still play it. But, but walk away, and and have that time with his family, and not, you know, further, you know, potentially, you know, do any damage to himself. So, I think it was it was good that he, you know, I think he was good for the game. You know, would he all the young quarterbacks he's mentored speak very highly of him? Um, How he, even though he was the number one pick. You know, was supposed to be the guy. He still had no problem mentoring others as they constantly took his job, but he did it with pride. And you know, I hope hope the best for him and whatever he decides to do from here on out.
0: Well, and you're right. People will forget he was he had like a a twofold redemption story, right? Because he was a first round bust until Harbaugh basically gets to uh to San Francisco, um, and then of course from the leg injury. Uh, Emery, as we move kind of towards the draft and, and college football and, and the players, how long, how early do you start the process on these kids, on these prospects? Well, for me, it's
1: my, what I do is is so unique because we cover football all year round. So during the football season, I'm either broadcasting games, I do a lot of, you know, MEAC games, a lot of games with at Monmouth. Um, and so I'm doing college football and I also cover the NFL. So I'm kind of working both ends of it. But I don't start focusing solely on the draft until January when I go to all of these different All-Star games uh, and, you know, start looking at players and and start my evaluations there and then get back uh, after the senior bowl and start pouring over the film. And then after that, pump out all my grades and reports prior to the the combine, because I don't want, you know, anyone to believe or think that my analysis is, you know, based on what I just saw someone do in non-football related drills, you know? So I try to get all that work in about a month and a half of work in film and, and scouting uh, before the combine to get all those grades out and, and ready to go.
2: Uh, Emery, I just, you know, you just said that you cover a lot of Miak, um, you know, and I I'm, I'm am went to North Carolina Central myself. Uh, why do you think it's – so obviously there's a talent difference when you go from – you know, big power five football down to, you know, FCS or whatever division the MIAC is in or version of football the MIAC is in. But why do you think it's so difficult for talent from HBCUs in, in particular to get noticed and make that jump to the NFL um, as opposed to a lot of FCS schools like North Dakota State, or, you know, for instance, or, or schools such as that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because, I, I, you know, I, I do a lot of – uh Morgan State games, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm always seeing the the tremendous skill talent that they have, and it's like like there's a guy right now that plays for the Jets in menashe Bailey, who was outstanding at Morgan State. Then we saw, you know, the um a few years ago they had an offensive lineman who was outstanding uh, at Morgan State, got to go to the East West Shrine game, and then ended up getting drafted by uh, the Arizona Cardinals. But I think what happens with a lot of programs in HBCU is just the numbers. Uh, when you look at where they are gonna be on equal plane with a lot of the FBS power five schools, it's the skill positions. But now you throw a Manache Bailey, who's six one, two oh five, runs four three. You throw him in the mix with 17 other guys that are 6'1, 205 run four three. You know, and so it's kind of like that where they have a lot of talent. There's also a lot of talent at that position. Now, if they're mm-hmm. starting to cultivate and develop old linemen or D lineman, like we saw Rodney Gunter a few years ago at Delaware State get drafted uh, by the Cardinals as well, um, because there's not a lot of good athletic talent at that position. So if it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can, because um, we saw Tennessee State have you know a lot of success in this with the last four to five, maybe even six draft classes. For whatever reason, they've been able to put O lineman in the NFL, whether drafted or undrafted. So if you're able to develop talent, Uh, cultivate talent, develop talent at certain positions where they're not plentiful, you have a great chance to get, you know, guys into the league. But right now, if you have good quarterbacks, good running backs, good receivers, you kind of fall in line where there's a bunch of those guys. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, guys like Deion Sanders or even Eddie George or when you look at a Tyrone Wheatley, what he's been able to do at, at Morgan State so far, or even just some of these guys like Dawson Odoms down at Southern, who has been able to develop some really good talent. Uh, you look at North Carolina A&T coach Sam Washington developing talent on the defensive line to where he has, you know, a Darrow, uh, I, I believe Washington, a Darryl Williams getting drafted by Buffalo. So if you're able to develop and cultivate that talent at different positions that are, that don't have a, an abundance of talent that people love to scrape off the top with, then you're going to see a bunch more HBCU guys jump into the league.
2: Um, The follow-up, I- You mentioned them. I wonder I want to get your intake on. How do you believe Dion is doing in his first year at Jackson State? And make no mistake, I know I'm willing to give him the same leeway we ask of other coaches where they come in. You can't turn the program around in one one season. Obviously, you need time to implement your plan, get your guys in, etc. But how do you think he's fair? He's shaking out over at Jackson State so far.
1: Considering what he had to work with, I think he's done a great job because we forget we're still in the globe uh, pandemic and he got started late. You know, there's this spring season is, is new, you know, so he, he got there in December, had to go through the whole recruiting and signing period. Then you have to turn around a couple weeks after the Christmas holidays and start practicing to start playing in the in, in February. So you got maybe two and a half weeks of getting a team ready to play amidst all of the stops and starts with COVID and things like that. So the fact that they won three games, to me, that's a success. Because now you get to see a full offseason, a full implementation of his system, full implementation of of the recruits that are going to come in, guys understand how he coaches and what the the staff expects of him. So I think he's done a great job in that respect. And so, you know, I know the other coaches in the SWAC and, 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 you know, other coaches around HBCU football kind of, you know, everybody wants to beat Dion, and I understand that just because of, of who Dion is. But Dion also is, you know, if you're not playing, if you're not, it's, it's because of Dion that Alabama and AM is playing on ESPN and ESPN2 and not ESPN, you know, Brazil, you know. So that's the thing where you, you think about the Dion Sanders. Yeah, he has a spotlight, but it's your time to shine too. Think about if you're Ezra Gray, this outstanding tailback for Alabama State. No one is talking about him if they don't beat Jackson State on ESPN. Everybody's talking about Ezra Gray. Everybody's talking about a quill Glass, a quarterback for Alabama AM. and m No one's talking about that if he didn't go off against Jackson State, which everybody watched on ESPN. So I think he's done a great job. And I think because of what he is and what they have done in conjunction with them bringing in FAMU and Bethune into the SWAC, the fall is going to be outstanding for HBCU football uh, in both the Miac and the SWAC, to be quite honest.
0: what does Dion or the Eddie Georges of the world have to do to convince five-star talent to come? Because really, I mean, we live in a world where the NFL continues to tell us, listen, if, if you play well, we'll find you because there's tape on everybody. And uh, is it, is it merely getting more games on the ESPN? Is that what it will take to convince some of these five stars, because that's really where you get the difference, right? It, right. And I think if you're, there's a couple
1: ways to go about it. If I'm, if I'm Eddie George, I walk in there, you know, first Eddie George is like the biggest dude you've ever going to see. And he just gets bigger the more time you just, he's sitting there, like he just keeps getting bigger. And so if I'm him, I'm walking in there with my Ohio State helmet, my Tennessee Titans helmet, the cover of Madden 2020, uh, 2001. You know, if I'm from am I'm walking there with those 95 Dion sneakers on. Um, you know, because I'm still Deion Sanders, I'm still Eddie George, I can get you to the league. And it's, it's a good point you brought up about TV because we all remember back in the day when, you know, growing up, you only saw maybe six schools on TV, right? You had to, wherever you are in the East coast, I grew up in New Orleans. So you had, uh, we got to see Florida, Florida state, uh, you got to see Notre Dame. And then the evening you got to see whatever, uh, whack game was on our West, like, uh, San Diego State, because Falk was playing at the time, San Diego State or BYU or Hawaii, and that was it. But now everybody's on TV, so you really don't have that card to play, but you do have uh, a card to play to say, hey, we're playing on TV as well. I know we can get you a higher-profile game because of who I am as a coach, and also I know how to get you to the league, because it's not just someone that played in the league, because there's many coaches that are coaching at the Power 5 level or – fbs level that have played in the nfl these are legit greats that have played in the nfl these are guys that you look up to i remember i I, I fanboyed out when i was getting recruited in high school and i got a call from uh indiana university and anthony thompson was the guy that was recruiting me and i'm like man i I got your football card you know I'm, i'm geeking out right so i can only imagine if Deion sanders called or or Eddie George called and, and are sitting in your house in your living room. And it's, you know, that's, that hits different than, you know, a guy that, you know, was on special teams in the league, you know, saying, Hey, I played in the NFL. Yeah, that's great. But this is a legend. This is great. A great player. That to me has a a ridiculous effect on what you do as a impressionable 17 or 18 year old.
2: I want to turn our attention to the draft. And um, we always Start off with the quarterbacks. It's, it's always the big to do. And I'm seeing, you know, I was seeing Mac Jones for a long time mocked to San Francisco. I woke up today, looked real quick, and now I see Justin Fields is mocked to San Francisco. What is going on with these quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence?
0: And in, in fact, real quick, I looked this up before we started. Um, uh, I'm glad you said this. It, it now is Fields minus 110. Jones plus 175 and Lance at plus 200 to go three. Oh my goodness. And we did this Friday for right. It was definitely yeah. Mac Jones right. on, on Friday.
1: First of all, like how are we just going to let Zach Wilson just slide through at number two? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like how would he just go unaccosted at number two? Uh, but uh, to me, it, it has always been Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, right? And I think the way we see stuff shake out in the media people get bored with certain storylines like they love the trevor lawrence storyline so they're going to hype him up and make him go from trevor lawrence a good quarterback at clemson to trevor lawrence slash elway luck you know all these great they're going to compare him to every great right and so obviously he's going to be untouchable so we got to find somebody else to talk about and we can't hype up justin fields because we talked about the same two people the whole spring summer and in the fall we got to find a new character to talk about and that's where you get zach wilson and then with mac jones playing the way he did uh well you know he just won a championship and you know he had all these great stats we got to bring him in the mix as well even though nothing really has changed for either quarterback if you thought fields was the number two quarterback you thought it was one a one b going into the season nothing Phils did on the field changed that perception and if you look at mac jones if you thought mac jones was a third round talent based off what he did last year when he had to fill in for Tua, nothing really changed in his skill set to warrant him going from a third round to number one overall. He just played on the team for a full season and they won the championship. Zach Wilson, I can understand the rise because he didn't play a lot in 2019 because he was hurt. Um, but he always has that, that, you know, that flair for the spectacular. You know, I, I compared this game to that of Johnny Manziel, right? Where he did a lot of wild plays, on the field. And he had a big game against USC in 2019 where they won. That was an upset. His first, the first exposure I had to him was in 2018 when he went 13 to 13 in that bowl game. I think it was in the Mexico bowl where they, like he was on fire. He stepped in and played really well, but he was hurt. So to me, if I'm investing the number two pick in someone that has an injury history, I wouldn't do that. That's why to me, if I'm the Jets it's Justin Fields. Plus you'd look at it from the fact that, um, you know, even though I have a I have an 85 grade on Justin Fields, and an 83 on Zach Wilson, so I don't see them being you know, there's not that big of a gap. But the reason why I would take Fields in New York is because of that. You're playing in New York. You can't do anything uh, terrible out here and and have to deal with that media. I think Justin Fields is more apt to do that because he has to play in the biggest games for two years at Ohio state, he had to follow a guy in Dwayne Haskins who had, well, who was a, a Heisman finalist broke big 10 records, Ohio state records and NCAA records, a 50 touchdown season. You have to follow that up. And he did, he threw what 41 touchdowns, only two picks or something his first year, and then followed it up with this season that where they beat Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs. So I would probably go Lawrence fields, Wilson, um, uh, Mac Jones and then Trey Lance, because Lance, while he has all the tools and and he has a talent, I just find it fascinating that you know we criticize Dwayne Haskins for his his shortcomings in Washington. Well, he didn't have uh, at many starts at Ohio State; he only had 15 starts. Okay, fine, cool. So fast forward just a year and a half, and now we're going to talk about a guy that had 15 starts at an FCS level at a program that barely threw the football. And in his showcase game, he didn't throw the football well. Now we want to put that dude third overall. What are we doing here? You know, so I think I would I would only take Lance if I'm Atlanta um, because he could sit for two years. Or if I'm a team like Chicago, where you have the luxury of playing behind an Andy Dalton. Or if you're Washington, and if he falls that far to where you know, hey, we just had a situation where we had a guy that was inexperienced, but this is our guy. We can, you know, run with Ryan Fitzpatrick we could run with um you know uh the uh the kid Heineke and then two years we could throw in uh Trey Lance so I think there are certain spots I would take Trey Lance in the first round if it's not those three spots I'm not touching them until round two same with Mac Jones I think Mac Jones is a plug and play type guy kind of like Kellen Mond so it depends on a veteran team uh with a guy that has played some big time ball uh, that I would take a chance on not in the first round though
0: Just a follow-up on Fields real quick. Do you think if he'd have have stayed at Georgia and had the same results that he did at Ohio State, would we still be having the conversation about who goes to in the draft?
1: Yes. You know what I mean? Because people love to take certain quarterbacks and push them down the board for no other reason than being, you know, themselves. Um, There should be no reason why, um, you know, Mitch Trubisky goes over uh, Deshaun Watson, considering the game, we just saw Deshaun Watson play against Alabama, that against that Alabama team and that Alabama defense. And we saw Pat Mahomes uh, do great things consistently at Texas Tech. And all of a sudden we saw a guy just catapult those two when he couldn't beat out the dude that was there for three years in Marquise Williams, who didn't even get a sniff in the NFL. And we just saw that, you know, we we see it every year play out that way. So he could have went to – you know, George, you could have stayed at Georgia and went, you know, undefeated through 65 touchdowns, no interceptions. They would still focus on those three incomplete passes that he had against Georgia Tech and use that, like they're doing right now with those seven bad plays he had against Indiana and use that against him to why he should go, you know, in the second round. So, yeah, it would have happened.
0: <laughs> we bring up Mond and Mills. You mentioned Mond. If I say Mond and Mills, and I'm assuming we're looking in that second round range with them. Where, where do you stand on, on the difference between Mond and Mills and who you like better there?
1: There's a, um, there's a highway gap between Kellen Mond and David Mills. Um, I was shocked David Mills w- came out. Uh, you know, when you watch Stanford, and this is a situation where folks are getting enamored with non-football activities. So David Mills during the season when they were actually playing football was atrocious davis mills at his pro day when you know it's scripted you know he could you know give a you know stern look at the the media when he's talking to him you know strong handshake all that good stuff uh he's a first round pick but are we drafting someone that you want to you know put in your your pr department or are we drafting a quarterback because if that's the position and i need you to complete passes and you know avoid sacks and avoid turning the ball over that's not davis mills Now for Kellen Mond, he played a lot of football. He played well with Jimbo Fisher. But for for me, Kellen Mond is someone that you watch and you just always want to see more. you like, you know, there's something about his game that just doesn't like quickly click. I feel like he plays a bit robotic. You know, it's almost like he's thinking too much out on the field, kind of like how Alex Smith used to be where you have a super smart dude and they want to know the, they want to make sure they got the right answer before They make the decision, but you guys know as great as anybody at some point in time, football is a reactionary game. You just got to play. And, you know, for Kellen Mond to go out there and play like he did against LSU two years ago or like he did in the senior bowl this past January, that's something that you want. You just hope that he could find that level of, you know, reactionary skill set on a consistent basis. So he's someone that you would probably get frustrated with because he just doesn't play like someone that should be playing loosely, but still better than Davis Mills. Do you think
2: these football people still get caught up in, even after watching the Lamar Jackson, uh, the Sean Watson and a Russell Wilson, um, do you think football people still get caught up in this idea of what a quarterback in the NFL should look like, as opposed to what they actually see on film?
1: I, You know, all the time. I, I strongly believe that. And I know people will come out vehemently denying it, but it's hard to, to, like, if you just told someone that didn't have a football eye, you just had them watch highlights, right? And say, hey, pick the, pick the one that you like the most. And, and let's talk about the Lamar Jackson draft. Who, Which one would you want on your team? 10 times out of 10, people would pick Lamar Jackson. Um, it's only when people are told what they should look Four in a player that they start to knock those guys down. And it's always those tr- uh, traditional, stereotypical things that they say that you can't tangibly find on the field. Uh, read defenses or um, dissect the you know the coverage. You know, play from the pocket. Like bro, every time I look up the dude scoring touchdowns, that's the dude I want on one of my team. You need points to win. You know, um, so. But I think it's always the case, which is why you see. Um, someone like a Davis mills who has zero productivity, get this talk of being, you know, in the first round conversation or high second round conversation when nothing on film shows you that this guy can play. And it's interesting because you'll see them pick six or seven passes to why he can be great juxtaposed to Justin Fields. They'll pick the same six, or seven passes and say, well, this is why you can't take him, you know, number two. Well, yeah, All right. let's play a full season, full game. Well, you got to look at the upside of Davis Mills. You know, he didn't have help. He didn't have weapons. You know, he didn't have this. The economy was bad. We're dealing with COVID. They had all kinds of excuses, right? But with Fields, it's like, he better be great right out the gate. I brought up, I tweeted this out the other day, just to see where people, and people love to jump in comments and not realize the the, the question. Uh, The NFL throwback account tweeted out Terrell Pryor's highlights, right? Saw that. From the NFL. And so I'm like, all right, cool. Had he played now, he'd probably have a chance to stick at the quarterback position. And some people are like, oh yeah, but he threw seven touchdowns and 11 picks. That probably didn't help his case. I'm like, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause it's funny how you just leave out the rushing yards he had that year in his first year starting. Now take Josh Allen's rookie stats, passing and rushing. Uh, 11 touchdowns, or 10 touchdowns, 12 picks, 500 something yards rushing wow, that sounds a lot like Terrell Pryor who only started nine games as opposed to 16. Imagine if he had the, you know, the luxury of being told he could be a developmental guy growth. And especially what you look at what you like for the position, that's something you want to see continue to grow. Juxtaposed to Josh Allen, who didn't play well his first year, didn't play particularly well his second year is this year. He had a great season. And you look at someone that came out this past January or this uh, last January and Tyree Jackson, who played at Buffalo, University of Buffalo, Uh, same like Josh Allen, rocket on, great athleticism, accuracy was hit and miss, but had the tools. He's already playing tight end, you know? He was at the senior bowl as a quarterback, and now he's he's a tight end with the Philadelphia Eagles. So they will always try to, you know, I feel as though that, until the people that are involved in the decision-making is changed, um, then you'll start to see it trickle down to, what we see on the field. But until that stays consistent, we're going to always have this battle back and forth. It, I mean, it has gone all. I, I remember, you know, being 13, 12 years old, thinking like, wow, they said Charlie Ward was too short to play quarterback, but he's tall enough to play in the NBA. Like, right. make that make sense. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So I just, I think we're going to always deal with this. We, we just got to find a way to be consistent on calling it out when it happens.
0: Emory, people keep trying to convince me on Kyle Trask, and, and I've seen a bunch of him as a lifelong Georgia fan. I, I don't see it. And I, that's not because you know I'm, I'm pretty determined to hate on Florida, but I just don't see it. Make make, make him make sense for me in that first, second-round area. If
1: this was 96, 97, he'd be a first-round pick. But he's not built for today's game. And it's, that's sad to say, but, you know, this is a fast man's game now. You know, and if you can't move, you're dead in the water. And we saw that play out uh, as the season went on. When teams started to, to, you know, put that heat pepper on him, he couldn't really get out the way. Uh, and also you look at his placement, it was hit or miss. Yeah, we love Kyle Pitts and love his athleticism and his ability to go in high point the football and all that stuff. But you have to ask yourself, like, why is every pass he had to go jump sky high to go get? You know, they, they never hit this man in stride, you know, so – between him and, and Trayvon Grimes, the other 6'5 receiver, yeah, you know, you love those tall athletes, but at some point the placement has to be consistent. And I think when you look at someone like Traz, um, I think he's a good, you know, QB2 at the next level, uh, kind of Matt Shabbish. Uh, but, you know, I don't think he has a strong arm. Um, I, I just don't think he has the athleticism to be a starter because you see someone out there that can't really move and doesn't really have the ability to beat you with his arm strength, if he can't move, um, then you're going to kind of put yourself in a, in a limited situation.
2: Emery, I'm interested. Do you see a lot of movement happening in the first round of the draft? You know, I, I know that people will reach for one of these quarterbacks that you feel shouldn't go as high as they're probably going to go. Uh, but do you see a, anticipate a lot of movement um, starting probably at that number four spot with Atlanta?
1: I think so. I think what was going to happen and we kind of see it every year. Uh, we think we're going to have a draft that goes straight forward, but because the contracts are not that expensive, um, people tend to, you know, all right, we'll take some chances. Um, and especially if you have a team, let's say like Cleveland, right. Who has done a good job in free agency and stacking up their roster. So now they're at pick 26th. They figure, Hey, we got a really good deep roster and same with Buffalo really good deep roster with a lot of guys returning we could take a chance with this um you know with this 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 draft in this first round and move up to go get a specific guy and i think we see we'll see a lot of teams do that it wouldn't surprise me to even see the jets take that second first round pick and their their high second round pick and go up into the top 10 to get somebody right mm-hmm. um so i think because of how the contracts are set up now, uh, everything is you know already slotted for whatever you know pick you are. I think that's why we see so much movement. And with 2022 being such a a, a stacked draft, with you know because of all the the, the guys that came back uh, for their senior season or took advantage of that free year that the NCAA gave them, we're gonna see so many talented players in the 2022 draft. So it may be wise for teams to stockpile picks next year. So because of that, we'll see a lot of movement in this year's draft as well.
0: Washington football team fans are hoping that Parsons will fall. How far of a fall do you see with him? It's hard to imagine him falling.
1: I think because it all depends on the positional run that goes on. So we know we're going to see a quarterback run in the top three or four picks, right? Um, Then after that, we're probably going to see an offensive tackle run. You know, because I think that position is deep as well. We may even see a cornerback run early. And with that being the backdrop, those three things, you may even see a Parsons be there when Washington picks. And it wouldn't be surprising because teams want to gobble up quarterbacks. They want to gobble up these guys that can guard these fast receivers that they're bringing into the league. People want to get speed on offense, so they're going to gobble up some of these receivers. Parsons may be falling, but not because of a talent thing, but just because of positional, uh, you know, runs that happen in the first round. So yeah, he could probably be there if he starts to get to a point where, you know, you're looking at Chicago. I think if if you're Washington, I don't know when they pick. They probably they pick 19, after 19, 19, so they're right before Chicago. So they may not even have to move up in a guy. That Denver would be the spot I would worry about um, for Parsons. Giants could be a spot at 11 to worry about with Parsons, but after that, I think you know, unless New England don't. Uh, New England doesn't draft good players, so you don't have to worry about him. Uh, you know they they sign everybody else good players, uh, but I think if he gets past Denver, uh, maybe even our Detroit. Detroit at seven, if they chose to go, they didn't need a receiver. But if they chose linebacker, I could I could see that happening. But so I would say Detroit, Denver, the Giants. Then I could see him probably getting to to Washington.
2: That's what I was going to ask you, Emery. Um, if if you were in the Washington front office, um, would you advocate for possibly moving up to grab a guy, whoever that guy is, or would you be content with sitting at 19 and seeing kind of how this thing play out in front of you? Because you know somebody's good going to fall to you; they're going to get, you know, suppressed and pushed back to you. So, would you would you advocate for moving up or just be content with where you are?
1: I would probably be content because if you look at Washington. Um, you know, from my perspective, they can go one of three ways. I believe they can go linebacker with Parsons. They can go offensive line with any one of the positions, tackle or guard. Um, they can also go, you know, secondary, They can go cornerback, you know, to stockpile, you know, some good weapons. They can go edge rusher or if they want to double down on that position again um, and just keep adding pass rushers, they can do that. So I think they have a variety of ways they can go. And because offensive line could be a need, whether it's tackle or guard, that's two positions right there. Inside backer could be a, you know, a need. Um, And if Parsons is gone, consolation prize could be someone like uh, Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa who can play inside or outside and he can cover. He's not a pass rusher, but he can cover. He can, you know, he's, he's a good, you know, uh, you know, instinctive ball player that you want on the second level. So I could see them going a variety of ways, uh, you know, with that pick. I could even see them, you know, taking a, a running back, you know, it, if Najee Harris or someone like that. So they they they're in a good spot because I, I feel like there's going to be a ton of, you know, um, uh, players that's going to get pushed down because people are going to you know fly up the board to get quarterbacks and wide receivers and some other top tier. Uh, offensive tackles some of the 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 premier names early
0: before uh you start to see
1: stuff get pushed down to where washington is
0: where did you have antonio gibson coming out last year what were your thoughts on him i had him as a
1: you know mid-round player um for me he played the running back position like a receiver played running back so he just didn't have the natural vision and you saw that play out with washington you know how many times he you know ran the back of his lineman or you know tripped up over his own feet you know, and while he on paper, you see six-two, four, you know, you know, good receiver. You see all that on paper, but when you watch him play, it just, he just looks like someone that they stuck at running back and say, Hey, play running back. Cause you, you know, you got some size and you got some speed with you. It's kind of like how David Johnson was. I still think David Johnson plays running back, like a receiver playing running back and not the other way around. Um, it just doesn't have a natural feel for it. And I think he's best suited. Uh, in a, in a tandem type situation. So that's why you kind of saw uh, a guy like Peyton Barber have success when he got his opportunity he sees it from a running back's perspective. And I, I think a lot of what Gibson, uh, and you hope that he can improve on that, but, you know, he has played that position, you know, at Memphis. He played it in the NFL and he just didn't see him, you know, kind of grow in that role. He's better suited, I guess, as a short yardage goal line guy. But I think if Washington was able to add, A talent next to him it could bring out the best in him and help minimize his role and let him maximize his role in certain situations
2: i'm interested in i know they this isn't going to happen in the first round because kyle pitts is the only tight end that will probably be drafted in the first round but in the mid to later rounds on the tight ends i know it's not the sexy position uh this year in the draft but what kind of tight end do you see um, being available for Washington in probably like that third, fourth round, fifth round maybe, um, after you get past uh, the pits? And I think that the kid from Miami, I think he stretches the field. Uh, what kind of tight end do you see? Because they they are in desperate need of a tight end. Like they have one tight end on their roster or two right now.
1: Yeah, they, I would look at someone like Pat Frymouth uh, out of Penn State he may be someone that could be there in the second round. And um, you look at someone later on, if you're looking at a flex tight end and these guys that can really get down the field, I kind of like Jacob Peterson out of UL Monroe, whose dad is Josh Peterson, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the former Eagles coach. And, you know, UL Monroe had all sorts of COVID issues this past season. Their defensive coordinator retired in the in a, what, week two of the season. And so they had all kind of issues. So the numbers weren't what they were last year, but you go back and watch last year's tape and you watch him just completely work himself open on a consistent basis. You see him uh, getting down the field vertical, uh, being able to go up at his highest point. So I think he has a good receiving skills that you want to, you know, run next to someone like Logan Thomas. Uh, and is a much more natural at that position than Logan Thomas, who, you know, former quarterback still playing tight. end. although he did well last year, uh, you get someone that can be a, a legit vertical threat. I think that that's perfect. Tommy Trimble out of Notre Dame is a good H back. I think he's going to be outstanding. Um, his upside, I believe, is through the roof because he's athletic. He's explosive. Uh, he takes pride in what he does as a blocker. But even with the ball in his hands, he's kind of like Jordan Reed in that regard. Uh, he has wiggle. He has the ability to, you know, score the ball. He could run through, uh, you know, arm tackles. I think that's someone that's going to end up being a better pro than he was in college because he's going to get utilized a lot more than he was at Notre Dame.
2: Glad you said that. I'm a big Tommy Trouble fan.
1: <laughs> Notre Dame
2: fan. I, was, I was waiting. I said, please say Tommy. Trouble.
1: Please. Oh, please. I, I don't expect him to be in the third round. That's why I was like, man, I, you know, I, if GMs are doing what they're supposed to do, this dude should be, you know, going in the second round. Uh, but if he's there in the third, I would literally drive down to, to DC and, and throw the card in there for him. Like, because, Trumbo is outstanding.
2: No, I definitely agree. I, I he's a willful blocker, um, and and he was definitely underutilized because they had that other kid they called Baby Gronk, uh, Mayor or something they call yeah. him. Uh, but so he he definitely wasn't utilized as a as a route runner as much as he looks like he has the potential to be. So, absolutely.
0: The other player from Notre Dame that I know gets Washington fans in a frenzy is the uh, kid. What JOK. I will not attempt to uh. <laughs> pronounce it but where do you see his natural fit in the nfl um defense how
1: about that right uh (laughs) because you know he's a he's a i think he's a he's a outside linebacker weak side linebacker but i may be looking at it from a from a uh traditional positional uh perspective and i know some people see him at strong safety i don't think he wants that stress trouble put that dude out there on the island against these nfl legit receivers that can get open you don't want to do that but you want him playing close to the line of scrimmage because of his speed. Now he can't go out there and match up against tight ends and some bigger, slower wide receivers. So I get the appeal. I see him more as an outside linebacker, weak side backer. um, That can be your nickel backer uh, in sub packages, which we know is all a rave right now because offenses are in standard three by one um, personnel group and three receivers, you know, one tight end. So uh, he fits today's game. He's athletic. He's consistent. Uh, and I can understand the appeal. That's someone else that could be a target for Washington in the first round because you don't teach that level of speed and explosiveness, but he also has good football skill set. You know, He plays out in the space better than some guys uh, that are out in the space primarily by their position. But I don't think in the NFL where everything is enhanced, uh, you want him out there consistently because he can get exposed. But I do see him – as a as a very good weak side backer almost like a matchup piece on defense
2: emery i'm interested what would you do not not cut not weigh not trade but what would you do with landon collins
0: when it, he comes not, back? it sound it sounds like he's the player that you just described uh with joe cato yeah, like you
2: know, yeah what would you do with him
0: you know it's it's
1: unfortunate because i covered the giants and i've seen a lot of Landon collins out here and I liked how they utilized him, I want to say, his second year. But in that scope, they had uh, Dominic Rogers cromartie playing kind of a hybrid role where he was kind of playing safety and corner. But they So they allowed Landon Collins to move around, which then allowed him to have his best season, uh, make the Pro Bowl with the Giants. And so I think you kind of want him to move around. He already let it be known he's not trying to play nickel linebacker. But you got to, you know, put him to the side like, like, bro, it kind of is already, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, you know, you, you kind of moving you around anyway. Um, but uh, I think you gotta really, uh, you gotta really, you know, dress it up nice for him to understand that this is what you could play while you add another safety back there and you have him playing almost like a rover. Um, but you kind of essentially could have him play nickel linebacker, you know, just kind of change how you uh say it instead of saying, Hey, man, it's 15, it's 1499 kind of deal with, with well, Landon Collins. Kind of no, 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 no you,
2: you, your safety, he's going to play primarily near the line of scrimmage. But exactly. Safety. <laughs> you see, see. Yeah, uh,
0: absolutely. They didn't address it nice because when Rivera asked this week, I don't know if you saw this or not, but they asked him about Landon saying he wouldn't move to a linebacker, and was that like a joint decision? And he said, Landon does not speak for the organization when he says <laughs> that. So, Rivera made it known that he'll play where he's told, us. But to your point, with the Sam linebacker all but extinct now, that the Viper, dime, money, whatever you want to call it—I mean, safe, three safeties are on the field almost all time now, right?
1: Yeah, and uh, here's the thing: everything is cyclical. You know, I remember when it, you know everybody wanted you know uh, Ted Washington and and uh, Big Norman Hand on the inside, right? These big D linemen, Grady Jackson and those guys. Then everybody went spread, and was like, man, we can't have these two big dudes on the middle. So we got to get these smaller DNs that could get out there and rush. Then everybody go back to three tight end sets. Now we have these small dudes out there, and we can't stop the run. So no matter who you have out there on the field, teams will adjust. So if you want to you know, put three safeties out there, cool. We just going to line up and run the football, and we're going to expect those safeties to get off these blocks from these tackle-eligible guys that we have in there and see how much they want to do that. Um, you got these skinny edge rushers out there. Can they stop the run? We're going to take away their biggest strength, and use use it as a weakness. We're going to make them be run defenders as opposed to pass rushers. So, it all depends on. Uh, that's why you want guys out there that can do a, a lot of good things on both ends of defense. Because if you try to, you know, play the the, the matchup game, team's going to always have a way to out match up you, especially if they have the personnel.
2: Emory, I'm I'm not going to take a tour around the NFC East this week. I promise I'm not. But <laughs> I I heard you said you covered the Giants, and I want to know what what do you think of Whatever direction they're going in. And then Daniel Jones, just as a prospect or a quarterback in the NFL, because I know when he came out, that was the debate like, should he go as high as he did, or was he better than Haskins and whoever else came after him? But what do you see of Daniel Jones and the direction the Giants are going?
1: You know, and, and I had Haskins rated high and I had him over Daniel Jones. And so I'm still going to stand on that, like talent wise you don't take Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins, but let's say for, for the same thing we talked about um, with Justin Fields versus Zach Wilson playing here, I kind of feel like it worked out for the giants because Daniel Jones has the right temperament for this, this media market, you know um, so it kind of worked for him. He's working for the giants in that regard, but on the field, you know, as much as people love to rag on Washington saying, Oh, they, they chose, you know, that's why the Giants chose him instead of Haskins. Like, I mean, Jones threw 10 touchdown passes last year and played in every game. Like, what are we talking about? Haskins <laughs> threw seven. Like, it's not like Jones, you know, out there lighting it up. Um, and he also has 39 turnovers in, in you know, every game, you know, to all the games he's played in. So what actually, actually are we doing? Uh, so I think Jones is in a pivotal season because everything around him has gotten better. Their defense carried them last year. The offensive line got better. Granted, he didn't play without Saquon Barkley. So he's going to get Saquon Barkley back. Uh, They added receivers on the outside. They added Kyle Rudolph to kind of help push um, Evan Ingram into more of a wide receiver flex role uh, to where he's going to be able to to work one on one and get himself open. So Daniel Jones has a lot going for him going into this season. So it, it really is all on him. Can he stop turning the ball over? He went seven weeks or six or seven weeks last year straight where he didn't have a touchdown pass. Like, you, that's not what you draft someone sixth overall for. And so, with all of the things that they've added, if they get to the playoffs, uh, is it really because of Daniel Jones? Is it because of the defense and him not, you know, turning the ball over and just handing it off to, you know, Saquon Barkley? So, I feel as though he has to take a huge leap this year uh, in ball security and throwing the football with consistency. Um, I like how last year they added they started to utilize his athleticism um, because that helped neutralize things. Now you have to combine that when you have Saquon Barkley in the backfield because it could make the offense kind of go because uh, they were trying to make this guy be Eli Manning, but you're wasting his athleticism in doing so. So we'll see this year if he can take that jump because if not, you know, people talk about, oh, if Lance falls or Fields falls, like and Giants fans making fun of all the, you know, all the other teams in the division, it's like, listen, if we're going to keep it a buck, if a quarterback falls and he's there at 11, y'all be stupid not to take him because, I mean, let, let's be honest. You know, you, you can improve over Daniel Jones. He's not there yet. Um, So I just think they have a low bar for him because of how much he was ridiculed at the draft when he made the pick. So anything that he does that's semi-competent, there was a <laughs> – there was a, a a picture from training camp last last week or last year. Uh, we were at the scrimmage and so many other the beat writers tweeted it out. It was like, you know, it was a still shot They were like this is show this shows you the growth that Daniel Jones has has made so far already early on in camp. And it was him breaking the huddle. I was like, yo, oh, what bar are we setting? In? You know, like <laughs> are we serious? Like this he just broke the huddle and he was like this is the leadership uh, that you want to see from, like, my, my God, like, we are literally, <laughs> you know, got pandemic brain. And so uh, I just think that he's gonna, he has to do something on the field to warrant that, uh you know, or we're going to see the Giants in 2022 address the quarterback position.
0: Were you surprised they gave Leonard Williams that big ass contract?
1: Not surprised at all, because Leonard Williams actually earned it, man. And I remember uh we did, we did, I was doing this show in um uh it was in manhattan it was at this place called rock and riley's it was it was draft night and it was that fantasy sports network so they had a show inside this this uh restaurant and on the balcony the nfl had a party like a draft party so as some players are walking in and out we're grabbing guys bringing them on the show so we we grabbed leonard williams this is when they took um i believe saquon barkley it was a saquon barkley year and, and so we grabbed Leonard Williams. He's with the Jets. And I was like, you know, obviously, you know, people look at you as a five tech because you're doing um, they, that's what they have you playing in that defense. And is, you know, so people think you can't rush the passer, even though you did it at USC. He was like, I said, so what position would you ideally want to play up front? And he let it be known then, it's like, I'm a three tech all day. If they let me be a three tech, I'll, I'll be able to get sacks. And, you know, we, you know, talk about that, blah, blah, blah. And so he goes to the, the Giants and they allow him to play more inside and he gets these sacks that, that, you know, was evading him with the jets. So I think he went out there and proved that he can do it, uh, which is why the Giants I think are, are probably going to take a DN or edge rusher at 11 and try to keep him in that role where he can continue to rush the pass and be disruptive up front. Cause Dexter Lawrence is, is a, a big guy that can also in his own way affect the pocket. Leonard Williams can can get pressure. If they have someone that really got juice
0: coming off the edge, then their defensive line would be uh, tremendous. Well, we don't appreciate it cuz now we got to, we got to pay up for Jonathan Allen now. Now it's the parsons <laughs> that that
2: that's what I was going to ask him, Doug. I we asked this question last week, but if if it was your choice, who do you pay and who do you let go on that Washington front four? Well, I'll just say 3 cuz we know Chase Young, he he this is going into a second year, but between Jonathan, Allen, De'Ron Payne, well, just them two, they did the tackles. Who who do you pay out of them two? Because I, I don't believe they're going to be able to keep all four of them guys on that front four for too much longer together.
1: Yeah. And my answer is kind of tied to how much they like and how much they see growth in Tim Settle, who can play himself, you know. Um, but I love Tim Settle. Yeah. So if, if Settle – who has some quickness and also is a, is a big stout guy. It's like, all right, what can we, who, who has the better upside? So I would say I would pay pain and let Allen go. Mm. Interesting.
0: Interesting. That's my choice. That's always been my choice. Uh, The team from my understanding thinks Jonathan Allen is, you know, the most important player on the team, basically loves John Allen. So I'd I'd be surprised if it doesn't be that, but uh, I'm with you. I think Payne's got the most upset.
1: I think a lot of the, I think what they like about Allen, he's a good player, really good player. Don't get me wrong, but he's also uh, an extension of the coaching staff in terms of being vocal. So they like that. And and so, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to say about that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I, I believe they have that in Chase Young now. So, <laughs> uh, Emery, we thank you for coming on with us today, taking your time, you know, to be with us. And we really appreciate your insight. Let the people know what you have coming up next and where they can find you.
1: I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. allowing me to open and just honest and just talking ball. Um, they can follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. They can pick up the copy of my 2021 uh, NFL Draft Guide. They can find it at footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. And I wanted to show you guys, I printed my copy out. This
0: is what it looks like. Ooh, so yeah, I was, was going to ask you how long it takes to put that thing together because I saw today is huge. Yeah, it's, it's all scout reports. So this is individual
1: scout reports for everybody. So we got over uh, 580 individual scout reports. So you're looking at over 700 pages there, 600 something pages. Um, and it takes me about two weeks to, to put this out. Because as I'm watching film, I'm putting my notes. Uh, on each player, and I watch position for you know one position first and move on to another position. Um, so I'm able to get that done in, in no time because I, you know, I, that's just how I, I process and work. Um, uh, but yeah, you can find this at footballgameplan.com 2021 draft guide. And it not only again, the fact that there's almost 600 players profiled in here, scouted in uh, individual pages, it not only covers you for whoever gets drafted, but it also covers you through, you know, training camp and preseason, as we know, NFL rosters are transient. So you're going to see a lot of turnover on the back end of the roster. And when your team signs a Menashe Bailey, and you're like, well, who the hell is Menashe Bailey? You thumb through this guy, like you see a scout report on Menashe Bailey. And you're like, oh, well, that's what he can do. And that's how he fits in. So that's why we give guys uh, this amount, because we know it's not just about the draft. It's about the undrafted players. It's about the free agents. Um, and it's about those players that we're going to see you know, end up making a team and making an impact on a roster in a regular season. So when Cameron Curl is balling and no one knows who Cameron Curl is, you go to the scouting guy from last year and see a good scouting report on Cameron Curl and how we had him highly graded and he's out there making an impactful play. So it's a really good draft guy. This is my second year putting it on paper because usually I was just doing it in video form. So we're excited about it, and it's it's a it's a good piece to have. I printed mine out because I gotta carry it with me when I go cover the uh, the the draft in Cleveland. Um, but you don't have to, you know, you know, take out tuition to pay for this. this <laughs> <laughs> print it out for, them, but uh, you can thumb through it on your iPad or whatever. Uh, and, and again, it's at footballgameplan.com/slash 2021 draft guide.
2: Excellent. I'm, I'm gonna have to go get my copy because I, I that's something that I always i'm going to google like who's this guy who this guy come from so definitely appreciate you doing that but once again thank you emory and, and you know have a good day and you know good good luck next week for draft
1: week hey man appreciate you having me on always a big fan of your music too by the way oh, thank i you. ain't gonna i had to i had to fan out for a bit like <laughs> I, I, you know what I'm saying? so i <laughs> want to let you know that while i want a lot people are listening big oh, thank fans. you
2: so, thank you I much appreciated
1: had to let you know that man but i appreciate you guys having me on
2: all right. Thanks, Trevor.
1: Appreciate you. Boom. Um, I can uh, I can send you guys. Did you guys what's your your both you guys emails? I can shoot it to you. I can send it to you when we're done. I'll just send it to you. Okay, and I'll send send you guys the guide as no, a thank for, for for having me on.
0: That's what's up. I appreciate that. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too.